Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Um, I've entitled my message, Child Not Orphan. I'm going to tackle quite a difficult passage of scripture. You know, uh, why? Because uh, I guess I like punishment. <laughs> I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 12. And the author is going to talk about suffering. And I want to... Um, Look at this passage because it is quite a misunderstood passage of scripture. And so let me first read the passage to you. Uh, you've got the version in NIV um, in your bulletins. I'm going to read the New Living Translation because uh, I'm going to use that as my basis to preach this morning. But this is the text that I want to um, finally get to. As you endure, so that we are looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 13. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers, who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. The word discipline is not a nice word. <laughs> but we're going to look at that this morning. But I want to show you the context of this passage of scripture. You have to go way back to chapter 10 to see the context of this passage of scripture. And so, please um, allow me to go back to the context. Otherwise, we'll miss the point of what this author is trying to teach us. All right? So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 34. And this is what he's, he says. And this is the beginning of how we come to the text this morning. Hebrews 10, 32 to 34, he said, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So he begins with this context, right? He's saying to them, he's acknowledging their suffering. He's acknowledging what they were going through as Christians, right? He called it terrible suffering for their faith in Christ Jesus. Public ridicule. They were beaten, sharing in others who were suffering similar fate, thrown in jail. Their possessions were taken away for, from them simply because they were believers of Jesus Christ. 
Now, we don't go through that as, as much today in New Zealand, but this is still going on in other parts of the world. You know? um, and so, but we do experience these, some of these things that we just read because of our faith, right? Um, and so he's acknowledging where they are. He's acknowledging the pain they're in. And then he goes on in verse 35 of chapter 10. He says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. He knows that pain and prolonged suffering can bring us to a place of discouragement that you're willing to throw away the towel. And so he's encouraging them. He's sensing the discouragement of these people. And he's writing to them and saying, don't throw away this confident trust you have in God. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. And he goes on to encourage them because he's recognizing prolonged suffering can, can take a toll on your soul. So he's encouraging them, don't throw it away. Don't throw these wonderful experiences that you've had with God. Don't throw it away. Be patient. Endure this. Because then he goes on to move to chapter 11. And he begins to tell them a whole list of giants of the faith. All right? Who have gone through what they, have, they are going through right now. They have gone through the same things and they have persevered and they have seen God come through for them. And so he goes through a whole list. Chapter 11 is this hall of fame of the great giants of the faith of the Old Testament. And one by one, he goes through these wonderful men and women of God that were mentioned in the Old Testament to connect these ones who are suffering to these giants of the faith that they look up to. And then he goes on in verse 35 while he's talking about those who, who overcame and those who saw God's blessings in their time. And then in verse 35 of chapter 11 he says, But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, their backs were cut open with whips, others were chained in prison, some died by stoning, and he goes on to talk about the sufferings they were going through in order to validate, first of all, the sufferings these ones were going through, but to connect them to a great host of giants and say, you are part of this group. He was giving them a badge of honor for the sufferings they were going through for the sake of Christ. And then after chapter 11, after connecting them to this host, wonderful, he calls them the cloud of witnesses, this host of giants of the faith, he then moves on in chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, to connect them to the greatest example of all who suffered as a child of God, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You can hear this encouraging word. He is loving when he's talking to them. He understands that when you are hit 
repeatedly by suffering, when you are hit repeatedly by discouragement, when you are hit repeatedly and pulled down constantly, sometimes it's quite easy for sin to latch on to you. And so he's understanding that and he's saying, you're you're running, you're running a race. Don't, Don't let any baggage cling on to you. Just take it off, take it off. Right? So he's, he says, remove, strip it off, every weight that slows us down. And then he says this, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. He first acknowledges their suffering. Then he encourages them to patiently endure. Then he invites them to link themselves to these giants of the faith. And then he says, look, anchor yourself. Look to the one who was perfect in the way he lived his life of suffering. Once he has encouraged them, we come to the scripture text that we just read this morning. Endure and remember that you are his own children. Before I take you to the text this morning, I want to make a couple of important statements here. You must realize when he's talking about this suffering, because he's going to now invite you to see this experience. He's inviting them who are suffering to see this experience as a way to learn, to allow God into their lives, right, to learn. But it's very important for us to understand the suffering that came into their lives was not from God. God was not the source of their suffering. This is very important for us because I've heard many speakers talk from this passage of scripture and and teach as if all suffering, right, is God's tool to teach us. If suffering is God's tool to teach us, he's not a very good father, is he? I've taught my children. I never really uh, chose suffering as a, a good teaching tool. I don't know, teachers here, if any teachers are here, have you used suffering as one of your curriculum, uh, the ways of teaching, you know? So God was not the source of the suffering. The suffering came through persecution. Be very clear about that. God wasn't the source of suffering, right? I've even heard people say that sickness, right? Sometimes God uses sickness to train us, to teach us, to discipline us. I find it quite offensive. It's offensive because I, as a human father, would never, I would rather take my child's sickness upon myself than to give the child a sickness to teach them. And if I, who am wicked on earth, would do such things and feel such things and have love for my child, I find it offensive that we would even think that God the Father who is the father of all lights, who has no variation and shadow of turning in him, nothing dark about God, 
I find it offensive that we would even consider that God has brought that suffering upon his child. So I want to say this. The source of the suffering that he's talking about has come from outside, external. And it hasn't come from God. Right? But then he get, we get to this text <coughs> where he's recognizing that prolonged suffering has caused them to lose their confidence and their faith in God. And, and it does happen. You get discouraged. In fact, you start questioning the goodness of God. And if it is from God, how can even you think that God is good? If this is from God, I'm a better, I'm a better God than He is. You know? So that's, the, that's, that's He's recognizing that there's this discouragement, this prolonged pain that you go through that causes you to slowly distance yourself from God. Right? And, and start thinking, maybe God is not good all the time. And I look at it and I say, discouragement, despair, pain, suffering can actually make an orphan out of us. Can distance ourselves from Father God and make an orphan out of us. And so that's what I want to look at when I look at this passage of scripture. I want to check my heart to see if at any point I'm actually living as an orphan rather than as a child of God. Mm. So that's my take this morning as we look at these scriptures. So when I go through these verses with you, I'm going to go through verse by verse very quickly. But as I go through these verses, I want to use it as a checklist. And I'm asking myself, am I, a am I living as a child of God or have I strayed into this orphan mindset? Mm. And I want to invite you as you overhear my checklist that you also reflect on what I'm saying and see if you have drifted away into an orphan mindset rather than holding on to this gift that God has given you as a child of God. So let's start with verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Now the word in New Living Translation translates it as discipline. The King James goes and talks about it as chastening. I think that's quite unfortunate choice of words. And I'll tell you why. The Greek word is paideia. And the word paideia means tutorage, education, or training. That's what paideia means. I'm not too sure why the translators chose to use the word discipline, right? But discipline in today's context carries a negative connotation to it. Chastening, even more of a negative connotation to it. But education, I don't know what your relationship with education is. I love education, you know? I'm drawn to study. My wife had to make me promise I would not continue studying after doing two master's degrees. You know? So at some point of time, enough is enough. 
But the word there should read training. That should be the word. And so what the author is saying, he's looking at them and they're suffering. And the suffering is beyond their control. And so he's saying to them, may I invite you to turn it on its head. Turn this suffering on its head. right? And look at it and see if you can go and sit at Papa's knees and let him teach you how he taught his son to go through suffering. Let it be a teaching moment for you as you sit with your father and let him show you how all these giants of faith and how the expert champion went through suffering. Sit on his knees and learn from him. I have found throughout my 50 years of life that the most difficult and challenging times of my Christian walk, the most painful times of my Christian walk, Daddy has sat with me and taught me and talked to me far more than I've heard from him in the greatest successes of my life. And so he's inviting us and he's saying to us, treat it as divine training. So I say to myself this, an orphan doesn't recognize fatherly training. A child embraces the experience. An orphan doesn't recognize fatherly training but a child longs and embraces for the father to train verse 8 if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all again I must go into the Greek the word illegitimate is the word nothos in Greek and it means illegitimate but in the sense of legal standing in the in ancient greek when they used this word nothos it was to do with whether the person was a legitimate citizen of greece or not all right whether he was a legitimate greek citizen or he was not so in order to be a legitimate greek citizen you had to have two parents who were both greek if one of your parents wasn't greek you cannot be legally a citizen Alright? And so that's where the word nothos came from. It's only used once in our Bible and it's used here in this text. And so he is saying, if, if you do not want to have God as your father to sit with you and train you, then really you are saying that you have no legitimate claim as a son of God or a child of God. Right? So this is what I put as my checklist. An orphan doesn't really realize their legal entitlement. A child knows who he or she is. A child knows he or she belongs to family. A child knows when you know your father and you know your father is king, then you know you're a prince. <coughs> when you know your father is king, you know you're royal. And I want to say to you, know this, don't be an orphan. Know who you are. You are a child of God. You are a child of a king. You are a prince. You have legitimate standing with God. He goes on in verse 9. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? 
when I'm working with blended families, it's quite common to hear a teenager in a heated conversation in our, in our room to say to his or her stepfather, you are not my father, don't tell me what to do. And sometimes I think as children of God, it sometimes slips out. Don't tell me what to do. Right? It may not slip out here, but it sure slips out here. The author calls God father of our spirits. You know why? When Father God speaks to us, He speaks deep into our spirit. He does deep work with us. His conversations are deep within us. And when He does that work, we truly live. And often struggles with submission. And so I put this here. And often see submission as life-threatening. But a child sees submission as life-giving. And often sees submission to God as life-threatening. A child sees submission to God as life-giving. Verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. I put it here, an orphan spirit is always suspicious of God's intentions. Always. What are you up to now, Lord? Why are you doing this now, Lord? Why is this happening to me now, Lord? Where are you, God? So there's always a suspicion about what, what are you up to, God? Right? And that's the orphan spirit. But then, so I put it here, an orphan sees God's intentions as he is serving his own plan and purposes. Right? But a child sees God as always acting on their behalf, always acting in their best interest. See, you see the text there. Our fathers did it as best they knew how. It was about them and what was best that they thought about. But when God is training you, He trains you and He says, what is good for my child? What is the best for my child? He's always looking at the best interest of every one of us as He journeys with us. Finally, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I put it this way. An orphan seeks short-term pleasure. A child endures trusting that there's certain harvest on its way. Daddy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. No matter what the circumstances around me looks like, I know my daddy knows what he's doing. He always comes through. And that's why the author had to tell them about the giants of the faith. Because with every single one of them, God came through for them. And that's why the author had to tell them about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because at every twist and turn, God came through for him. Right till the end, on the third day, he rose again. God came through for him. So be a child. Don't be an orphan. Right? Your Heavenly Father wants to train you. 
Your heavenly Father wants to wants you to know that you are part of His family. Your heavenly Father wants you to submit to His parenting, so you can truly enjoy the life He has planned for you. Your heavenly Father has only your best interest in His heart. Your heavenly Father has a long-term plan for you, so that you will bear much fruit and prosper in and through Him. Be a child. Don't be an orphan. Let me close with these final two verses in this last minute, and that's verse twelve and thirteen. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. I know the context of this passage is suffering under persecution. But I like to see these last two verses as a template for any suffering we're going through, and so I've called it a child's template when you're suffering. And this is the template when you're going through prolonged suffering, when you're going through discouragement and going through pain, and you're going through despair. This is the template. Raise those hands in thanksgiving. Strengthen those knees in prayer. Clear the path so that you don't trip. In other words, remove any faulty ideas about God. Remove it. It's not helpful. If it's not helping you to draw closer to God, it's not worth keeping on to. And then just keep walking. Just keep walking. Just keep walking until you're whole again. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, visit us at activefaith.org.nz.